morning, everyone. Glad you're here. Anyone coming just joined us? Uh, we're starting a new series this morning called Beat That Attitude. It's a way for us to think about what does it look like for us to address character issues in our lives? What does it look like for us to address character development? How do we change the attitudes in our lives? What, what does it look like for us to really start to beat these problems in our lives into submission, right? Because I think if we're honest, as we think about New Year's resolutions, I mean, some of us have ideas about, you know, we want to change our diet or we want to, you know, read our, our, the scriptures more, or a lot of other things. And those things are fine and good, but the most important things that need to change are the things that are going on inside of us. Inside of us. And um, I think one of the things, uh, as, as leaders, we've been talking about 2020, I, I mean, this, this is not going to shock anyone, 2020 has probably been one of the worst years, right, that we've experienced in the city and in recent memory. And as Pastor Edwin was leading us through just devotionally thinking about this as a church and as a city and as, as what God is saying to us, he said, 2020, if we was to sum up 2020, it was like a gift wrapped in pain. It was like a gift wrapped in pain. And that's often how God works. If, if, we're, if, we're, if we're honest, God will surprise us. He'll confound us. He'll confuse us. And then in the midst of that, care for us. He'll do some unusual things, strange things, things we weren't anticipating, things we weren't thinking were the way I would have chosen to do this, the way I would have seen this rolling out. In the midst of that, if we slow down long enough, if we can be still and look at what's happening in our life, we can see the hand of God and the blessing of God in those things. God is in the business of surprising us, of doing things we don't expect. And it takes a pandemic sometimes for us to slow down long enough to see the ways in which God is working that is very different from the ways we anticipate. What, what many theologians talk about in this idea is the paradox, thing, something that seems contradictory. And we're going to take, a, we're going to do some riddles now, and for, first person to answer these questions, just to give us a mindset, because this is the way in which God works sometimes confuses us, and, it's, and sometimes we have to reframe our minds. So I'm going to, I'm going to throw out some questions. And the first person that can give me the right answer, right, we'll just have some fun with this, okay? So just to give us some sense about how this idea of the paradox works, okay? So this is the first one, just to give a sense of how this works, okay? First person that can answer, the, give me the right answer. I am light as a feather, yet the strongest person can't hold me for five minutes. What am I? I am light as a feather, yet the strongest person can't hold me for five minutes. What am I? Close. Breath. Who? Breath. Your breath, right? Very good. Very good. Breath. Breath. All right? Next one. What goes up and down but doesn't move? But doesn't move. What goes up and down but doesn't move? The sun. Mm, good, 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 good one. No, but no. Maybe, no, not the one I'm looking for. Uh, no, that's a good, good one. That, someone said that yes last night. Any other thoughts? No. No. <laughs> going once, going twice. A staircase or a ladder. Up and down but does not move. What goes up and down but does not move. Number three. 
What can fill a room but takes up no space? Air. Air, air is what, not what I was looking for. But that one, someone answered that last night. But yes, that's a good answer. But that's not what an answer I'm looking for. It's close, though. Yes. Yes. What can fill a room but takes up no space? Light. Okay. Okay. Next question. What, what question can you never say yes to? Are you sleeping? Are you sleeping? Or are you asleep yet? Right? You can never say yes to that question, right? Right? Because you're already asleep. Yes. Okay. Okay. What is what can you keep? What can you keep after giving it to someone? What can you keep after giving it to someone? Okay. Now what I'm looking for, but that's a good answer. Yes. Your word. That's exactly it. Your word. What can you keep when you give it away? Your word. Yes, that's right. Number six. What is black when it's clean and white when it's dirty? What is black when it's clean and white when it's dirty? A chalkboard. You're good. That's right. A chalkboard. That's right. A chalkboard. And, and kids, kids, unfortunately, in schools don't see chalkboards no more, right? They use these smart boards. They don't even know what, a lot of kids don't even know what a chalkboard is no more. Last one, okay? What's always in front of you but can't be seen? Yeah. No. Good, good guess, though. What's always in front of you but can't be seen? The future. Who said that? Yes, George. Very good. Yes. And that's where we finish because, again, the future. We don't know what the future holds. It's always in front of us, but we don't know what it holds. But God knows. But God knows. And as we think about this idea of the future, again, the ways in which God is going to work in our lives is going to confuse us. It's going to confuse us because he's not like us. He's different than us. And so this beating that, this attitude, this changing the attitude in our minds and our hearts, we think we understand how change works in our lives. We think we know how to make the changes in our soul, in our lives. And then God reminds us that it's different than we expect, right? How I want to change your family, how I want to change your circumstances is through a pandemic. I, I wouldn't have chosen a pandemic, right? How I want to change the way that you think about jealousy, for instance, in my life, how God wants to address my life in thinking about jealousy is he wants me to pray for the people that I'm jealous of. That's not the way that we would think that jealousy is addressed in our lives. But Jesus has a different agenda and a different purpose as we think about the ways in which he wants to bring change in our life. And so as we think about this series, how do we address pride and selfishness and anger and anxiety? and fear, and worry. How do we address these character issues in our lives? We're going to look together at the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' most famous teaching, to find some insights. And the reason that we often fall short in the change is because we're looking for the wrong answers and asking the wrong questions. We're looking, at the wrong, we're looking for the wrong answers and asking the wrong questions. And so how do we beat that attitude? We're going to look in the Beatitudes to find out. And so if you have a Bible and you want to follow along, today's text to set a foundation for where we're going to be looking is from Mark chapter 8. 
And as we have a, a practice together, we're going to stand as I read this text to us. Because if nothing else, God is going to address us from his word in these moments. And so this is Mark chapter 8, verses 34 to 37, reading from the NIV. It says, Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for mine and for the gospel will save it. For what good is it if someone could gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can one what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? This is the word of God. You can be seated. And so as you think about this idea of character change, how does change happen in our life? How do we start to address these attitudes to change the inner person? We recognize that foundationally, what Jesus is telling us is about following him, is about learning this lesson. It's about learning, about dying so we can live. Dying so we can live. Um, I'm a huge Star Wars nerd, and so I was tempted, and I was talking to Pastor um, Edwin about this, but um, you know, I was thinking about this, Jesus giving kind of the foundational teaching about his invitation for us to be like him, and this idea of dying to live. This is what he's saying. If you want to follow me, you need to die so you might live. And so I've been, uh, maybe you have or haven't watched The Mandalorian, so it's the new series. But again, when The Mandalorian is like the Boba Fett sort of story of Star Wars, and constantly in the, in the movie, it's like, this is the way. This is the way, right? So this is the way. You want to follow Jesus? This is the way. It's about learning dying to live. Dying to live. And again, that sounds contradictory. It's the paradox, right? What? Wait. Jesus is saying, if you want to find life in me, you need to die. Wait, hold on. What? I don't understand. I don't understand. This is precisely the way that Jesus wants to. He has to confuse us because he has to shake our mindset. We think we understand how life works, and Jesus has to confuse us because we're so used to one way of doing things, and Jesus has to show us a different way. So how do we beat these attitudes? How do we change the character? We realize that it's about dying to live. And the first thing we see from Mark chapter 8 in this attitude, in this pursuit of dying to live, is the first thing that Jesus teaches us is that keeping is losing. Keeping is losing. See, we are told that happiness in this life, that peace in this life, that, that stability in this life, that all the things that we think matter are about the accumulation of things. If you want to be happy, get things, grab things, take things, acquire things, collect things, get things. Right? It's about accumulation. The more I have, the happier I'll be. The more sneakers I have, the more clothing I have, the more friends I have, the more money I have, the happier I will be. We are told it's about pursuing our dreams, being on top, getting ahead. If I get that job or that relationship or that housing, then I will be happy. If I grab all this stuff, if I get all this stuff, then I will be happy. But Jesus is telling us keeping is losing. But here's what we need to understand. He's not saying that stuff is the problem. Jesus is not saying that stuff is the problem. Again, look at the text. If it says here, it says, whoever desires to save his life will lose it, 
For whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospel, save it. For what will a profit a man if he gains the whole world? See, he's not saying that stuff or the world is the problem. The things of the world are not the problem. The problem is when we think that the stuff of this world will meet our deepest longing. That the stuff of this world will solve our deepest issues. The issue is that we think that stuff will make things better, will make things right, will make things good. The way to find life is about learning that keeping things is part of the problem. You see, what happens in life is that we think that getting stuff is what makes me happy, but what ends up happening is when we acquire things or grab onto things, it's exactly what happens. I grab onto this thing, and I'm so concerned about keeping it that I'm actually crushing the life out of it. If we are honest, the things that we think bring us the greatest joy in our life, the things that we think we need to have to make our life to complete, we end up having such a death grip on it that we squeeze the life right out of it. That relationship that we think we need no longer is bringing us joy because I'm so concerned about losing it that I'm squeezing the life out of it. That job that I thought was going to make me happy, I'm so concerned about losing that it's no longer a joy because I'm so terrified of losing it or making a mistake in the workplace. It's no longer a joy anymore. I'm squeezing the life out of it. Keeping it, grabbing it, is losing in life. So many of the things that we think are what's going to make me happy are some of the very things that have kept us from being happy. Because we're holding on to them so tightly. Keeping is losing. We are so concerned with what we think that God needs to give to us that we lose sight of what he's trying to do in us. I'm so concerned about what I think God has to do for me that I'm forgetting what God has to do in me. God, you have to give me this job, right? You have to give me this job. You have to give me this relationship. You have to give me this housing. And it's not that any of those things are unimportant. God cares deeply about our relationships. God cares deeply about our housing. God cares deeply about our, our financial situation. But I'm so concerned about those things, trying to grab those things and keep them, that I've lost sight of the deeper work that God is trying to do in me. Keeping is losing. Grabbing is losing. But on the flip side of this, giving is getting. Giving is getting. Again, I like the New Living Translation as it translates this text. In verse 34, it says, If anyone wants to be my follower, he must give up his own way. Giving is getting. When I give up my own way, when I give up my desires, I get life from Jesus. You see, it's very hard to follow Jesus if we're holding on to stuff. Because again, look at the text. If anyone wants to be my disciple, he must deny himself and take up his cross. It's very hard to carry a cross when I'm carrying stuff. When I'm carrying stuff. 
And this isn't just material things. Some of us step into the space and we don't have a lot of stuff. The only things we have are the things on our back. I'm not talking just about physical things. I'm talking about our attitudes. I'm talking about our desires. I'm talking about our frustrations. Giving these things over to Jesus is getting peace from him. Giving over my plans is getting life in Jesus. Giving over my anxiety about the future is getting peace from Jesus. But if I'm carrying those anxieties, if I'm carrying those fears, I'm not getting the life that he's offering me. You see, we feel like we have to keep up with others. Again, this is the reality. We, we live in little boxes now because we can't leave our spaces. And so many of us live in this online life and everyone's living their best life online. I mean, no one's, no one's leave, leaving a train wreck for everyone to see on Facebook, right? Look how bad I was to my kids, everyone. Wasn't this great? No one's putting that post on Facebook, right? So it's always the curated best life now. It's always that. And so we find ourselves the keeping up with the Joneses has only accentuated in this age because all we're doing is looking at our best selves all the time. And so we have this expectation. Well, they're happy. They seem to be doing okay. Everything seems to be going fine for them. Why can't I have that happiness? Why can't things go like that for me? Giving up this greener grass, giving up this keeping up with the Joneses. I don't need to compare myself to them. I need to give that up. I need to give up that I need to have everything figured out. Some of us are so paralyzed with fear about not knowing what the future holds, we're afraid to take steps. Jesus doesn't call us to future, the future that's totally understood by us. He calls it to take steps of obedience. Some of us are terrified to take the next step because we're worried about what it's going to look like, how it's going to feel, what's going to happen. Jesus is inviting us to give up having everything figured out. Jesus is telling us to give up thinking that I need to clean myself up before I come to him. No, he's like, bring your mess to me. Some of us think, Jesus could never love me. There's all this stuff I'm bringing into this church, into this conversation, into this situation. How could Jesus love me? He's like, no, no, that's the stuff I want you to bring to me. Some of us need to give up trying to fix myself up before we come to Jesus. Give up comparing, giving up expectations. It's not just about giving over things giving over jobs, giving over finances, giving over whatever it is. For some of it's, again, maybe, maybe some of it's, it's, a, it's addictions. We need to admit today, I have a problem. It's giving that to Jesus. I have a problem. Jesus is inviting us. Giving is getting. When you give these things to me, you get life from me. But if you're trying to hold on to these things, you're losing. Keeping is losing. Giving is getting. A job, a friendship, a mindset, a habit. Maybe there's something that needs to go, to be put down, to give up. Because hanging on to these things is really leading us to losing. And Jesus wants us to have life. And so the question for me, the question for us, 
What do I need to give over to Jesus this year? What do I need to give over to Jesus this year? What do I need to put in his hands? What do I need to turn into his hands? What do I need to stop doing? What do I need to put, put, give over to him? Maybe it's that career that I thought I was supposed to have. Maybe it's that relationship that I thought was supposed to be mine. Maybe it was that dream that I, I just can't let go of. And maybe Jesus is saying, just give it to me. Give it to me. Giving to, give it to me. What do I need to crucify so I can start living a fuller and deeper and happier life? Jesus is saying keeping is losing, but giving is getting. And this is where the character change starts. When we learn to give these things to Jesus, change begins. But not just that. Again, look at the text. Again, as you think about this idea of what Jesus is saying, it's confusing us. No, no, wait, you're asking me to give this stuff up and then I'll find life? But I thought I was finding life in this. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Give that to me and then we'll start talking. Give this to me, and then we'll start living. Jesus is confusing us so he can care for us. But the second thing, again, is I love the way, again, I love the way that the New Living Translation describes verse 37. Because, again, it's not just that dying to live is about keeping is losing and giving is getting, but also this. We need to learn to live for what we can't see. Live for what we can't see. Jesus says in verse 37, and again, I love the New Living Translation, it just pointedly helps us see what Jesus is trying to get at in verse 37. Is anything worth more than your soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is no. <laughs> Nothing is worth more than your soul. Nothing. Like my kids, we have these funny um, conversations. My, my kids are on TikTok all the time, and there's all these like, um, like uh, comedy contests and things. Like I remember, like a year ago, it was like these people that were doing like. And, and again, some of you are blissfully ignorant of these things. And I'm glad you are. Um, but there was like the Tide Challenge, where people were taking those packets of Tide and like trying to eat them, right? Like seeing how many they could eat in a minute or something, or something dumb. Just like I'm like really, like really. And so there was this one guy, like, how, what would you do for $1,000? You know, you know, it was just like crazy things. Like, and it wasn't like, cra like outlandish things, but it was like, just what would you do for $1,000? And my kids were like, well, you, Dad, you get $1,000. I'm like, my respect is worth more than $1,000. My respect. Because i got to put that on, online. You've got to record yourself doing it and then hope that. And it's like, well, what if it was $10,000? My respect is worth more than $10,000. But that, what if it was, my respect is worth more than a dollar amount? Your soul is the most important part of you. As C.S. Lewis, who wrote the Narnia series, said famously, he said, you do not have a soul. You are a soul that has a body. You do not have a soul. You are a soul that has a body. There's nothing worth more than your soul. But we're told, we're shown again and again and again. It's, it's accentuated because of the pandemic, because all we do is have this screen life, and we're told that happiness is found in having things. Having things. Being pretty. You know, having it together. 
being in the most beautiful locations, right? I mean, it's like the struggle. You know, it's like these pastors are going into all these crazy places to have weddings. I'm like, you're flying places. Like, you know, it's like, oh, help me, Jesus. Um, you know, but you think my best life is I need to be somewhere else, or I need to be doing this, or I need to have this, or I need to look like this. Visually, again and again, it's constantly the reminder that my best life is based on what I have, what I have, what I can touch, what I can hold. And again, some of us, this is heartbreaking. If we're honest, we get into the space and we don't, we'll never get into those spaces. We're constantly in the have-not category. We're constantly in the have-not category. And so it's just a sad reminder. The TV goes on or the papers in front of us, advertisements, the internet, our phones, constantly remind us, I don't have that. I won't get that. I won't look like that. And so it's the constant reminder, right? I'm not like that. And so I can't be happy because the world tells me that I need to look like this, be like this, have this, look, all that stuff. And I'm just never going to get there. The new clothes, the white smiles, the gadgets, the flat stomachs, all this stuff, right? And Jesus is telling us, is anything worth more than your soul? No. We find ourselves thinking that the good life is what needs to change out there. And Jesus is saying, no, no, the good life starts when you change here. The most important change that needs to happen is inside of us. It's not shiny new things that will fix our problems. It's a new heart. You can have the nicest clothes and still be the most terrible person. And again, I have been so humbled, consistently, Serving this church Monday, Tuesday, and Friday for the folks who show up in our breakfast. Men and women who have nothing. Carts of belongings that is their existence. And watching as these beautiful humans care for, sacrifice for, and give to each other. Because they have a happiness that can't be taken away by Stuff by stuff. Jesus is teaching us that true living means learning to see that the most important part of me is in me. Is in me. Attitudes, desires are really what God is trying to address because a pandemic, my financial situation, my health, all these things, circumstances will change. My financial picture will change. Looks will fade. Clothing will break. Shoes will wear out. Phones will require upgrades. Com gaming systems will become less, you know, important or whatever. Our hearts, if they're in tune with Jesus, is where true happiness can be found. So again, as we're thinking about that change, right? I asked that question, what needs to change this year? Reframe it again. What needs to change inside of me? Some of us might have wrote down the question, what needs to change is I need a better job, I need better help. Those are fine. 
Here's the deeper question. What needs to change inside of me? Inside of me. That's the more important question that God is asking us for 2021. What needs to change inside of me? But here's the beautiful reality. See, Jesus, he, he brings difficult teaching to us. It's about dying so we might live. It's about giving so we get. It's about recognizing that keeping is losing. It's about recognizing I need to learn to live for what I can't see, which is so hard in a visual world. All this becomes so difficult. Because so much of what we're shown and seen and live with, we breathe this air all the time. It's, it's a visual, it's a tactile, it's a, it's, a, it's a touch and taste world. And Jesus is telling us, live for what we don't see. But the beauty of this that we so often miss in some simple instructions from Jesus is this. And I, I usually say it this way when I'm thinking about discipleship is this. Jesus will never ask us to do something that he hasn't gone all the way in. Jesus will never ask us to do something that he hasn't already done perfectly. Look again at the scripture. In verse 34, it says, whoever desires, and this is now the New Living Translation because it helps us understand this, this way. Verse 34, whoever desires to come after me, So what does that tell us? Jesus has already gone ahead of us. So every time Jesus is asking us to do something, Jesus has already done it. Think about that for a minute. He's not asking us ever to do something that he hasn't done all the way. Dying to live, that's what I came to do. I went all the way to the cross so that you could have eternal life. Focusing on what you can't see, I left heaven, eternal communion with Father and Spirit, so that I could live in communion with humans and not see my Father and live for what's around me and trust that the invisible Father in heaven was, was loving me and with me at all times. He has done it all the way, every time, in perfection for us. It's about recognizing that God doesn't love me because of what I give up, but through trusting what Jesus gave up for me. God doesn't love me because of my New Year's resolutions and how well I do. Praise God. Praise God. Right? Day, what, day three? Right? Day three? I mean, how many of us have broken resolutions already? Right? If we're honest. Right? I mean, my resolution is every night I, read, I want to read one of these prayers of repentance from John Baye, and I've only done it once of three nights. I mean, if, if it's about my track record with God in terms of how well I do with the things that I set out, these aren't even the things that God sets out, then I'm screwed. Jesus says, we get because he gave. That's the third point. We get because he gave. I get eternal life, not because of what I bring to the table, but because of what Jesus brought to the table. We get forgiveness and power and love and joy and peace because Jesus gave up his place in heaven. He gave up power and privilege. He gave up his life for us. We are only following what he did perfectly for us already. 
And we don't follow him to earn, we follow him to thank. Let me say that again. We don't follow God to earn with God. We follow God to thank him for what he's done. Our following him is a response of thanks. Not a duty in the hope that he'll accept us. Jesus died so we could live. So we could learn to die. Our giving our life back to him in worship is an expression of our thanks to him for what he has already done for us. This is the foundation of the change. This is what God wants us to to, to consider. To beat the attitude in our life is to recognize, I am loved by God. So any change that he's asking me to consider, any ways he wants me to change, is because he loves me. Because he loves me. And because he loves me, I don't have to be afraid of critique or correction or change because he already loves me. He already loves me. This is the root of how change happens. I can embrace change because I know I'm already loved. I'm already loved. And so again, as we think about this, what needs to change this year? And how that change happens is, I rest. What needs to change is, it's not about me, it's about him. It's about him. It's for him and to him and through him. What needs to change, as I said last night, is I need to get out of the way. I need to get out of the way. I'm the problem. And so I need to die to myself so I can live for and with and to and in Jesus. I need to remember that I'm more loved. I mean, again, I just love that indescribable song. I wish that the second verse, the second chorus, was actually the main chorus because it says, um, inconceivable, unfathomable, you see the depths of my heart and you love me the same. You see the depths of my heart. You see the things I never confess. No one else knows. And you love me the same. We get because Jesus gave. I get full forgiveness. Full. Not partial. Not 75%. Not 90%. Full. 100%. All forgiven. Past, present, future sin. Forgiven. If my trust and hope is in Jesus Christ. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. But true. But true. And so we close with going to the table. You came in with this bread and cup. And it's the reminder again of this. 
Jesus invites us to this table. Jesus invites us to this table. The beauty of this is there's so many tables in life we're not invited to. So many tables in life we will never get an invite to. Right? Some of us don't have a table to invite people to. The expression of what we'll celebrate in a minute is a reminder that Jesus always invites us to the table. All we need to do is say, I trust you, Jesus. I trust you. I hope in you. The expression of this table is saying, it's not about me. I can't change myself. I can't fix myself. I can't save myself. I am the problem. You are the solution. You are the solution. This is what this table is declaring together. I am the problem. I'm accepting that. He had to die because I am the problem. But he is the solution. The glorious, full, wonderful solution to our deepest longings and our, our deepest need. And so if that's you, if you have come to trust in Jesus, in a minute we're going to take the bread and the cup. If that's not you, it can, you can come to this table. If you just say, Jesus, I admit I am the problem. I admit that I am broken. I admit that I need change. I admit that I have not obeyed you or lived the life that you have set out for me. I believe, Jesus, what you did for me. You died for me. Your body was broken for me. And you confess, I want to live for you. I don't want to live for myself. I want to die to myself and live for you. If, that, if you believe in your heart, confess that now, you can join us at this table. But if you are a believer, this table is for you. So what Jesus does for us, It says in 1 Corinthians, For what I pass on to you I receive from the Lord himself on the night when he was betrayed. Again, just pause again. He did this on the night he was betrayed. When he was betrayed. He took bread, much like this bread, and he broke it. And then he passed it around and said, take some. And said, this is my body. This is my body. Broken. Given for you. And so again, take the piece of bread and remember, this is a reminder of Jesus' body broken for us. Take and remember the broken body of Christ for you now.
It says in verse 25 then, in the same way he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. And so again, a couple things to remind us of. First of all, this is safe space. And so this is grape juice that we're all taking today so that you don't have to worry about violating your conscience or, or being concerned about what you're consuming today. But be reminded again, we take this cup as a reminder of Jesus poured out blood. His blood was shed so that we could have our sins washed away. And so we take and remember now the body and now the blood of Christ, which is shed for us. Take and remember now. And so, Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that we can take this time around your table. You invite us to this table to celebrate what you have done, to remember what you have done. And that is the foundation. We want to remember what you have done. As we go from this place, we don't want to remember what we do. We want to remember what you do. And I pray that we would die to ourselves to find life in you. Give you our struggles so we might find hope in you. Live for what we can't see by remembering you're doing a work in us, in whatever's going on in our lives. Jesus, we thank you for this time, for these reminders, for your word. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.